<laughs> a history of comedy. It's several chats. A history of comedy. Come and have a rummage in the archive. A history of comedy. It's several chats. A history of comedy. Come and have a rummage in the archive. Hello and welcome to another episode of A History of Comedy in Several Objects, a podcast from the University of Kent about the British stand-up comedy archive. And in this podcast, every episode, we pick out one item from the archive and talk about it in detail to try and uh, work out what it can tell us about the history of stand-up comedy and indeed the form. And uh, I'm Ollie Double. I'm joined by my colleague Elspeth Miller, and we are very much the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers of comedy archiving. Good, yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't have much to say. That's good. I know, I know who they are. I presume I'm Ginger. You could be whichever one you want. Tony, just to say, we do this every time. There's a different it's double act. Very funny. <laughs> <laughs> we like to think so. Now we are joined this episode by Tony Allen, who self-describes as an anarchist control freak. Tony, uh, would you like to add I to that? I just said that in a conversation yesterday, and it's suddenly become my byline. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you're 50 years in the business. <laughs> one loose phrase. Oh, good evening. <clears throat> I, I know you as the godfather. There you go. You see, why didn't you say that? That's so who gave fun. you that? Oh, I, I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, that's an interesting one. You, you, were, you were known as the godfather of alternative comedy. What do you think about that as a kind of Other people, since I've been sort of aiming for abject ob- obscurity, um, other people have taken that over. Now, I saw Alexis Sale called that recently, and I thought, oh, it's about time he had that for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the reasons that, that we invited you to come in, Tony, is because you were actually one of the first contributors to the British Stand-Up Comedy Archive. I just had all this junk in my flat and didn't know what to do with it, so I gave it to you. You seemed to like it, so fair enough, yeah. Well, it's interesting you describe it as junk because uh, it, one of the things that we've noticed about um, comedians and their attitude to their personal archive, if you like, is they tend to sort of quite disregard it. They, you know, it's just a bunch of old nonsense. Mm. We think that it isn't because we think that it sort of casts light on the craft, if you like. Yeah, I think it's more to do with what we do as comedians. Is it, We work in the now. And when you work in the now, other times are irrelevant, really. So it's not like a play where you look at the script. OK, you've got albums of mine and stuff around. But really, that's I find that really... Um, I, don't, I don't like listening to any of this stuff. Because the, the moment was wonderful. And I'm, I'm an expert on talking about the moment and how it sort of works. I can do that. But actually listening to old moments. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's interesting because I mean, one of the themes of this podcast has been that disjuncture, actually, between a, a, a form of performance that's rooted in the moment and the now um, mm. and the ephemera that's left behind afterwards. And it's really trying to make sense of that ephemera to see whether it can shed any light on the the moment when that was happening if you look like. ollie you had to have been there man that's the end <laughs> of it really all this sort of living in the past for uh, go on all yeah. right but you're very very interested in in the in grimaldi the I, 19th century clown. I should have been there shouldn't i yeah, yeah. but also if you had the chance to to access 
archive material that shed light. I mean, short of having a TARDIS where you can go back and watch him, mm. if you had a- access to um, archive material that could help you understand Grimaldi, I mean, you'd be interested in that. Oh, cool. Now you've got me now. I mean, you've seen <laughs> through my sort of ruse. All right, yeah, no, I would indeed. I would be very interested. Well, what I'm saying is you are the Grimaldi of your generation, so... <laughs> there you go, folks. I'll, I'll go with that one now. Now, I know that you are not looking forward to the next bit of the podcast because the, the item that we've picked out... Uh, well, Elspeth, can you tell us what item we're going to be talking about today? Yes, we have um, an item from your collection. So in 2013, 2014-ish, you deposited some audio with us, and one of those was... Um, a cassette recording of you comparing at the comedy store. Um, the date, it, it was an undated cassette tape, so we're not exactly it's, sure of the date. I've listened to it. It's it's early. It's it's 79, 80, I'd have thought. Yeah, because you mentioned yeah. the gong. So it's a recording at the comedy yeah. store where there was the gong. So it must have been quite early on. Yes. Um, but you've just introduced us if it was 2013. It's not 2013. <laughs> it's 1980, this. So we, th- we think it's about 1980. Yeah. Okay, we're going to listen to it now, and then we're going to talk about, um, well, what, what, we, what we can learn from it, I suppose. Edit. Good evening. That's a nice friendly audience, everyone talking to each other. Yeah. Um, we've, uh, sorry about the delay, we've had a gas cylinder blown out, whatever that means, or gas cylinder's blown out. Oh, yeah. No, really? Do you think all this going on Gone. Now, let's calm down. Now, this, if, for people that don't know, this is a nice, mellow little club, and we have a bit of satire and general comedy, you know, it's beautiful. Um, what happens is that we've, got a, we've got a whole bunch of comedians. Come on, calm down, calm down. We've got a whole bunch of comedians that come through that shredded bako foil over there, and uh, they come up on stage. It's, the, it's just underneath the Gothic Lego ceiling. There. It's beautiful, isn't it? Actually, the person that designed this, you know, it's like, looks like it's been designed by a football pools winner on acid, doesn't it? You know. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have a Valaquez over there and a nude over there. <laughs> anyway, they come through one after the other and they entertain you and they're amazing. And some of them are not so amazing. And some of them are pretty dire. But you'll soon sort that out. There's a lot of nice acts. You'll have to stop talking, otherwise the people around you won't hear. I know you don't want to particularly hear, but you know, it's just one of those little things. Ooh, <laughs> So anyway, what happens is they come on. Now, there's a dubious device of a gong. Now, I've got a headache tonight, right? So I'm not going to use it unless I really have to. I find it a bit of a dubious device anyway. And you'll hear the locals and the regulars shouting out gong occasionally, but I'd ignore them. And if you... If somebody's going on far too long, a bit like I'm going on now, and you really get... Um, you think to yourself, what... You know, that's a hard job that guy's doing, you know, and then you think, oh, I'll give him another five minutes. I'm a, I'm a part of a, a cabaret collective called Alternative Cabaret, and uh, we're a sort of collective of dope smokers, doll scroungers, tax evaders, you know, <laughs> musicians and comedians. 
We're all advanced social thinkers, actually. And we do these gigs around London. Um, we did this gig in the week. You really should have been there. No, you should have been there. We had, a, we had about an audience Liz. then, you know. Hey, Liz! 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 Incidentally, for, for people who get a bit gong-happy, right, there is, a, there is a spot in the second half where we actually drag you out of the audience if you have been oh a persistent my. gonger, right? And uh, I've already... I've, I've already... If you could see the state of this character over here... How can you get so pissed at these prices, man? Really? <laughs> What are you doing for a living? Are you a VAT accountant or something? <laughs> I'll give him another one, he'll pass out. <laughs> no, you should have been at this gig. I'm going to get through this if it kills me. You probably will. You should have been getting at this gig last night. It was really, you know, it was, um, it was diabolical, actually. There were 16 in the audience. Now, you, you said to me, oh, you do a gig with 16 people. Not this 16. See, time out fucked up the listings, right? They put us in twice. Uh-uh. Once under participatory sport, and the other one under avant-garde classical music. Right? So we had five Bulgarian tourists sitting on the edge of their seats, waiting for the five-a-side ice hockey to start. And then there were three guys, much like him, they sat right in the front... Oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Stupid. They sat right in the front. I don't know where they were at, mixing their drugs or something. And they were laughing loudly and uproariously in all the wrong places, completely out of context. You know, good evening. And then there were the people that came for the Stockhausen concert. You know, they gave us a standing ovation directly after the sound check. You know. And I'm up there trying to entertain them, you know, and I'm going really badly. And then I thought, Tone, I thought, Lenny Bruce, he finished his career, out of his head on drugs, hassled by the police, and dying in a toilet. And that's how you're starting off. <laughs> and then I got really optimistic. I thought, there's people pissing away fortunes going to India, spending money in ashrams for this much ego loss, you know. <laughs> I felt quite nice about it. Anyway, to start off the evening, I've got a, a, a member of Alternative Cabaret. I'd like you to give a big warm welcome, please, to Jim Barkley. Edit. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> what to say about that without noticing that the, the sound was awful. Yeah, yeah, I don't. That's... I don't like listening to my voice. It's. I. I don't know whether it's to do. I, I probably sound like it now, but it, for me, it sounds all bass and muffle and no diction and half asleep. And <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean that 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 would be partly the limitations of the recording device that was used at the time. I'm sure some okay. of that will be. Right. But I mean, okay. So the first thing to say is it sounds mad. Like the gig sounds like it's. K 
chaos when you come on. Yes, that's right. Yes. And was, how typical yeah. was that of the comedy store at the time? Uh, well, it certainly was different every time. So that's as much as you can say. You did not know what you were getting because they did know what, didn't know what they were getting. Uh, so yeah, and it was always so that was to be played for, you know. And I, and I quite enjoyed that really, and, and uh, didn't sound as if I was there. I don't know actually, because there's a thing like where there's a bit where there's a you're in, you're getting into a bit, and there's a guy who goes, "Chris, bring me a drink over here," or something, <laughs> and you break out of what you're doing to kind of deal with that, yes. and then you kind of could go back into what you were doing, and mm. you're constantly sort of referring to there's a bit where you say something and it sets them all off, and you go, "Oh, that's you lot started again." Yes, that's right. Well, that, that's really dealing with what's going on in the room, and to my mind, there was I. It took far too long to get to that there with that. I would have nowadays, or when I was peaking about forty years ago, <laughs> uh, I would have I would have uh, I would have pitched in far earlier than that. I was trying to do my material really. It felt like listening to it, and it was just a waste of time. I should have earlier. I should have got into it, but there you go. You say that I think there's about five and a half minutes worth there, yeah. and in that time, you take them from being. An anarchic audience, which you know, chaotic audience, yes, with yes. you know, with people shouting at each other and paying no attention. And drunk they were. Drunk. It was after midnight. You see, that's the point about the early comedy store. People from Soho who had been in clubs and then just went and they, they'd heard about the comedy store. They was somebody would say, "I was a money lives going here. I've heard about this," and they would take their mates in. And there was a lot of people that got in free because the comedians weren't being paid but were given free drinks and free entrance for a couple of mates. So you've got an audience which is already polarised between people that are wishing their mates well and other people who have got who are just sort of going there for a late night drink and just want to sit around doing what they've been doing previously. Could have been anything, but they, they could have been sort of in a karaoke club, they could have been in a strip club, they could have been at Sound of Music or something. I don't know what they were doing earlier, but they wanted to carry on doing a sort of wilder version of that later. And then they've come into our place. Uh, I mean, I would, I would say that in five and a half minutes, you've taken them from, from that kind of chaotic state. He's into intent a, on making me the hero of this piece, ladies and gentlemen. I think you are the hero, Tony. I know it's hard because when you hear yourself, it's, it, it feels unflattering. It feels like, oh, yeah. God, this is monstrous. But actually... You know, you've taken that from that place to to the point where they viably a, a, a comedy audience. I mean, when you do the the line about Lenny Bruce, my best line I wasted on the opening. I'd, I'd like to have done that line in my closing thing at the end, and then just pitched them right on the end. I'd put that. You see, that's what I wanted to do, and I've used it in, that, the, in the opening. But it but it wasn't just, wasted in terms of laughter. No, that no, it's a no, really cool. good full yeah, audience yeah. laugh. It's the best joke ever written. <laughs> and when you think that I wrote that right at the beginning of my career, I thought, God, I'm going to be writing stuff like this for the next 30 years. Wow, have I got a career ahead of me? And that wasn't the case, actually. <laughs> but, I mean, you do all the things that, uh, that a compare should do, surely. I mean, you... Yes, you I did, yeah. You refer quite. to the moment. You talk yeah, about... Yeah, endlessly, yes. And that's right, you have to. And and I, and I would... And what you don't see there is is the visuals and... and 
the and the mugging and the mimicry. Well, you see the mimicry a bit, but when I when you when, when I'm going, nur, 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 I'm doing, I'm imitating the the person in the, who's doing the who's making the the most noise in the room. Apart from me, I'm imitating them, and I'm doing them physically, and I'm trying to do some yeah. So that's going on all the time. And and I'm also doing facial expressions of disapproval and of world-weary, you know, wish I was somewhere else looks, you know, which is getting a certain amount of people in the audience who also wish they were somewhere else and are so <laughs> sympathetic to that. They're sort of smiling and laughing at that. or They're just smiling so you don't hear them. So I'm playing to a room of people that wish these other guys would shut up and, and hope and are wishing me well you see i'm playing to that in looks really talking of the visual i mean you also refer to the uh, interior design of the early comedy store yeah and it was it was a strip club so there was this this uh, shredded we used to call it shredded bako foil i just happened to get on first and use use a generic joke first so <laughs> nobody else could use it but uh i but, think the technical term is silver slash curtains they are silver slash curtains that's what they were and you can imagine the out down down with a leg coming through can't you but <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and so, the gothic Lego ceiling as well. Oh, it was. I think that was to do with a, a rather sort of odd, sort of mid seventies sort of look. Really, I can't remember what it was now. That pretty, that did sort of describe it. <laughs> but, and it's interesting because I mean, you know, you you say people smiling, uh, but actually, although it it sounds, uh, you know, like the don't necessarily huge tangible laughs right at the very beginning. Actually, if you listen to it repeatedly as i have done in mm. preparation for this there are a lot of laughs actually in there but it mm. but because there's chaos as well it, it's not as snappy as if you hear a professionally recorded stand-up gig no well i'm i'm doing things like i'm pointing at someone and then shaking my head and going oh good god yeah, but i'm not actually saying that I'm, I'm that's what i'm looking like it's my feelings are truncated to nuance you see and that's what i'm doing and then and may, maybe i'm sort of doing their expression back to them yeah you missed that but i sort of did a drunk waving his glass in the air then so so all the time i'm that's what's going on um, I, I, I mean, it's worth saying that on the circuit now, I mean, if somebody's been going a couple of years and they start to get, I don't know, radio or telly, that would be considered a fairly good achievement. But it, at this point, you know, if we're talking 1980, you've mm. been doing stand-up for not much more than a year, possibly That's even right. less yes, than a year. Yes, yes, yes. So learning the process of being a stand-up and comparing and things mm. must have been a steep le- learning curve. Well, it was, I mean, the one thing that people say and I say and repeat is that the best the best thing to do to be a stand-up comedian is to get a lot of stage time and when you're looking and now people are virtually paying to do five minutes you know at least they've got to bring a friend with them who's paying and buying drinks to these these clubs where there's 20 people on all doing five minutes I'm extemporizing now I don't know what goes on in these clubs but I've heard sort of learner comedians talking about them with great disdain but they they don't get much time to perform where I got comparing this the comedy store I mean I used to compare when Alexi could 
couldn't do it. And Alexi quickly got into the point where he, he would do Saturday night and there was two or three other nights and I got hold of them and I would do them and he would do Saturday night and, and, that, and I just took advantage of that. And sometimes there was two shows. So I'm on, I'm on every, every few minutes. I'm coming on and sort of mopping up the, what's left of the stage and the person that was on it and then sort of calming them down and getting them ready for the next person. But that's the opening. That's the opening there. So you can imagine what it was like an hour in after they've sort of gonged about ten people off and they've had people throwing fish around and they've had people sort of not doing acrobatic acts and other people doing impersonations of sort of sea animals. You know what I mean? It's just like there was a lot of nonsense going on and, and that's what was good about that period is that people were trying all sorts of things. We hadn't yet decided that it was stand-up comedy that was the the central thing of this of this new wave of cabaret because it was called alternative cabaret to start with, not alternative comedy, although the comedians started calling themselves alternative comedians as soon as we'd established the name alternative cabaret. But yes, yeah, so there was a, a lot of things that that audience could quite rightly gone off. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I pick up on a couple of things there? First of all, um, the gong, because in mm. this show you do refer to your distaste for it, you say it's a bit of a silly gimmick, and... Um, what what was the effect on the well, audience performer dynamic? Well, it stopped people. I think it stopped performers being subtle, which is I always tried to uh, allow. I wanted to see people be subtle. There was people doing very. I mean, Alexi Sale himself was doing pieces. He was doing uh, three or four minute pieces, which he didn't really want to be gonged, and he didn't want to have to extemporise or deal with the audience while he was doing that. And other people were still doing that sort of comedy. Which was a, which was a style at the time. It wasn't so long ago that people like um, oh uh, who's the guy who's in Bob Newhart and people like that were sort of some some icons of comedy. It was it was within I don't know fifteen years and people had those albums, so they were doing that sort of thing. And Lenny Bruce as well was doing that sort of stuff, although he went somewhere else yeah so I, I can't remember what your original question was now it was how, how did the gong change the oh right so dynamic? yeah no that's right so so there was a lot of people doing prepared things there was a uh, and also there was a lot of people who wanted to 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 do considered things I was I was one of those people I was doing a sort of conf confiding with an audience when I got half a chance and talking about serious subjects but that's the wrong audience to be doing it to really and and so to, to give them a gong as well as all their as well as a, a sort of gutful of beer is probably you know wrong thing to do but it the people that started the comedy store got the idea from America. There was a thing called the Gong Show, and and there was a thing called the Comedy Store. They were different things, but they took the pair of them, put them together. So that's what you had there. You also mentioned alternative cabaret, and you were the founder member of that. Yeah, and yeah. it was a group of you of, of of some of the people who kind of found found each other via the Comedy Store. Uh, oh, well, that's where I met Alexi at the comedy store. Although apparently I heckled him when he was doing something somewhere else uh, a few months earlier, 
Um, and it's actually in his book now, and I wondered if I did that. I mentioned it in my book, but I didn't mention it was him. I said I mentioned some Marxist who was doing a, a game of bingo to sort of explain Marxist economics, and apparently it was Alexei. I didn't realise that until I read it in his book recently. <laughs> uh, but... but uh... I mean, so so you. So but there you are. There's a perfect example of what people were doing, <laughs> explaining Marxist <laughs> economics with a game of bingo, and all the audience shouting out "house" at the same time. <laughs> but I mean, I've got an article here from a magazine called The Leveller from 1979. Go. This is actually from my own personal collection. Mm. How to talk dirty and get arrested, and it's oh, an interview with you. That's a and you're a little bit younger. Yeah, a little bit younger there, Tony. <laughs> And uh, looking quite dapper as you are today, although that's obviously a visual thing, so wasted on a podcast. Um, but um, it talks about you with Alternative Cabaret doing an average of four shows a week these days and two residencies. Um, so it would have been an important factor in the spread of this type of performance. Well, once again, you know, the stage time thing, we understood that we needed to do stage time to get better. So to have our own group, and we'd all come out of theatre groups, really. So to have our own group that got booked as a group, we could then say we're doing 20 minutes each and the, and the band's doing a bit and, the, and the, there was often musicians. To be quite honest, the musicians were there because they had a PA system. <laughs> but we don't talk about that you know <laughs> we wanted the range of different sorts of entertainment obviously also here you say something quite interesting which relates to what you were just talking about well, i think uh, in, in relation to the comedy store um you say it says you, he did a slot at soho's renowned comedy store but the club's double life as a strip joint meant there were too many rednecks and heavies in the crowd he walked off again saying soho's done for making love what russia's done for socialism there you go what well, a winner that was. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's not a bad gag. No, it's not a bad gag. But yes, but the, I mean, but what that taught me and what I learned about comedy is that it's, it's about being in the now. It, um, oh, actually, I have got something specific to ask you. Really? Which, yes. Right, okay, so you said that the people who set up the comedy store, Don Ward and Peter Rosengard, had got the idea from America. Mm. And that's well documented. That is definitely true. That's right, yes. But alternative comedy isn't quite the same thing as the comedy store, if you see what I mean, in the sense of... Oh, well, oh no, you, no, no. No, not at all. No, so, we, we... I came from a, a sort of counterculture background. I was squatting at the time, and I, I, I was an anarchist, and I and still am, folks. And, you know, and I came from that culture, and everything was alternative. I mean, I, I, some of my friends were producing Alternative England and Wales, which was a which was a book about all the, you know, where you could stay if you were on the road around England, and, and there was alternative world, I think. And but everything was alternative. It was used as a as a sort of counterculture sort of prefix to every every sort of cultural thing, really. So it was just obvious that we called it Alternative Cabaret, and that's what I called it. I mean, I think that you must have been quite a pivotal figure in bringing that notion of not just a new forum for comedy, the comedy store, but mm. a new idea of comedy. Well, I mean, so in certain ways, that 
the I go over the sort of rather hoary old stuff about sexism and racism, but you know we 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 wanted obviously to to not be doing sexist and racist material. I did, and um, and also where how how you set up the club. So we set up our own club. So it was a do-it-yourself um, version of a club. So you and and a, a more cooperative way of setting it up. So we were doing back rooms of pubs and stuff. And that came from the, the folk clubs, which was a sort of, I suppose, left-wing type of uh, activity. And they, they would set up clubs in, in upstairs rooms, and so that's what we were doing. So we, And they were dying, and we were coming up, so the, the idea of doing, folk, uh, doing comedy clubs in, in rooms that were previous folk clubs or on a different night were a folk club. Elspeth, we've got um, some other material here from the archive. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what we've got? So we've got um, Andy de la Tour gave us some material oh, right. for the archive and you sort of feature within, within Andy's archive as well. So within the material relating to alternative cabaret, we've got a mixture actually of sort of promotional material that was kind of advertising your your act. Normally that that's... That's the name would have been in one of these gaps of where we were playing, you see. Okay. And then that would, and then it would say the name of the person there, and then the description of them. Okay. Yeah. We've used this as a focus of a previous. This is the alternative cabaret flyer, which we. Sorry, used yes, I keep forgetting we're not being. And <laughs> um, but we've also got in here, relating to what you were talking about earlier, is the kind of the bookings, some some booking records. Oh really? Okay. As a as a collective. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yes, I. I suppose I was interested in that in, in, as a sort of uh, we had to do it sort of thing. But I was more interested in the actual, the doing of it. I certainly am now. So, because I understand each member of Alternative Cabaret kind of organised gigs. Yes, there, so there was that. There members. was that. Yes, uh, if you knew, obviously, if it, we were all from all over London and outside of London as well, and there was there was also other acts that joined us uh, on on occasions, and they would they would get gigs and say, "Can we do it under the auspices of alternative comedy?" And can I be in it? You know, we go, "No, <laughs> it's our club, not your club." You know? <laughs> no, that's not true. So it became, but. It's, after a while, it became. I'm, I'm noticed there. There's actually a, an organizer. So we were from from very soon after the album, which is the Alternative Cabaret album, in '81. We became a group with a, with a management. Yeah. And uh, can you tell us about the album? How did that come about? Oh, it's boring. Well, no, oh, all right, okay. You don't well, it's to... an album, you know. So it's 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 sort of it's sort of ossified versions of what we were doing at the time. So yes, and but, uh, but, but I suppose my point is, it's within two years of you starting as a, as a comic. I think it was the first album of of alternative comedians, and there's four of us on it, and uh, and I remember it being quite successful. And it was at the time when we'd stood, there was a split with, not a split that we any with any animosity, but some people who were doing a, a club near the comedy store. I can't even remember what it was called now. Comic strip. Comic strip. And they were going on telly. They were just about to go on telly, and we were do we were still touring with a with a show, by, after 
successful Edinburgh show and a successful album from that show. Well, th yeah. this is from... So we, we went, we did more live than they did because they started doing it on, they started doing Channel 4, which was a new thing at the time. And this is actually... And there was a crossover when I used to perform in their club and they used to come on our, some of them, yeah. So there was a kind of split, but it wasn't. Yeah, and then the comedy store, because the comedy store was one, neither one nor the other. The comedy store would be, would be, a, yeah. We had a base at the Elgin in Labrook Grove. Well, a pub with a rich and colourful history. Yes, because it 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 been a, a pub, for... it had been a pub rock band and a, and a punk band place as well. So yeah. the one hundred and one is Joe Strummer's band yeah, played yeah, there, for example. Yeah. It wasn't Joe Strummer's band then, it was seven other people. Right, <laughs> right, right. The, he loves name dropping. <laughs> he wasn't known as Joe Strummer then, was he? Mm, I, I don't know. Yeah, Woody his name was. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so what we haven't got here with it, but we have got in the archive, is, is a programme for Alternative Cabaret's 1981 show at the Edinburgh Fringe. That's that one, yeah. That's where the album was. That's the one I'm talking about. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think the year before you'd gone up with Alexi. That's right, yes. And you must have been the first of the modern type of stand-up comedian. Well, you say that, but Billy Connolly, um, much as I disapprove of the stuff he was doing at the time, but he was he was in more or less of the of the of the comedians that have lasted from that period. He was he was there before us, really. And Dowie was as well, John Dowie. So that's all bollocks, really. That me and, I mean, but Alexi tends to per, per, perpetrate that. Perpetrate? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's a word with three syllables, I've just said. Yeah, that, yeah, that idea, so I'll go along with it. Yeah, we were the first... Before us, there was just tumbleweed and hillbillies. And <laughs> I suppose one of the things that it does relate to is that... Or you you definitely didn't come from nowhere. There were people who'd perhaps been experimented mm. with this stuff before yeah, you. Yeah. But I think that what you you collectively achieved was a kind of renewal of comedy, a challenge to, mm. for example, the sexist and racist thing, mm. to the idea that you could just nick other people's material and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I mean, long term, can you? I mean, what do you think the impact of that? Has been? I think I think things like this happen every, uh, cyclically. That that um, th th there's a sort of reappraisal, if you want to call it. Nobody at the time thinks it's called a reappraisal of what's going on, and you start doing something wilder and more interesting, and more personal, and more expressive, and and then and then that gets copied, and people then get stayed and relaxed and let it, and it all turns into. I won't go and mention people that are doing it now that are rather middle of the road but it turns out with middle of the road with people like Yang Yang Air and Yang Yang Air and Michael McIntyre <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, is there anything else that we haven't spoken about that you think we should mention yes lots of things about the actual doing of it and about how comedy uh, isn't, isn't about something that's written down it's nothing to do with acting it's to do with performing and it's to do with it's to do with play in front of an audience and with an audience that's what we should be talking about all this bloody stuff about who said what and whose who's name we should remember and, and how much they were getting and could, could I pin you down then so you, you, you said that you know the, the thing that 
the key thing is the I mean it's been a theme of this episode really being in the moment mm. and we're looking back so we're not in the moment now no. in a sense but but you know you will carry with you given your experience of doing comedy uh memories of, of moments where yes. you were playing with that moment and something unique and wonderful happened that's right and it still happens and I teach comedy now and I, or I coach comedy now or whatever word you want to use it and I come here and, and do stuff at this, this university and it's fun but it was something happened recently and uh, and it's about the truth being the most important thing in comedy and 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 it's funny when the truth's funny. It's great. So I was doing a I was doing a workshop with some very reluctant people who'd been pushed into it by their their uh, people above them. And it was all the workers of various charities were going to perform a big gig in front of all the other workers of charities, and they were given this option. They could do a Bake Off thing which was going to be filmed or something. I don't know what was going to happen with that. Or they could run a marathon. Or they could do stand-up, a stand-up comedy workshop. And some of these people had, had decided to do a stand-up comedy workshop. And they were going to sh- all this was going to be shown to all the people who, d- who were part of this to, uh, at a live gig. And one bloke who was uh, was above the others, he was higher up the the scale of things than the others were, he'd written nasty material about all his friends and all the other people and these other fellow bosses of various things. And he would not take part in this. And we were saying, well... And we were setting up these little exercises that are based on truth and and, and based on mugging and mimicry and the now and all this. And he was going, yeah, yeah, I've got these great gags. And I was later... And in the end, he wouldn't get up. He would just watch what was going on. He sat in a corner. And it came on the second day, I think, when, when we were doing these things, when we, we were actually finished doing the workshop and we were going to have a little showcase within, the, within this room and some of the people in the building were brought in to see it. So there was about 15 or 20 people in there and all the people that had done the workshop were getting up and doing their piece. And this guy, I thought, come on, you've got to do it. And he stood up. And he stood in front of these people and he looked one look at them and he went, oh no, I should have done the marathon. <laughs> and I said, that's your opening line. You walk on stage, you take one look at them, you collapse inside and you say, oh, I wish I'd have said I'd do the marathon. <laughs> and everybody, everybody was still laughing, you see, and agreeing with me. And this guy did not see it. And he was the only person that did not see it. So that's the, an example of how the truth is the funniest thing in the room. And the now is, yeah. Tony, thank you very much indeed for coming on the podcast. That's You're welcome. Been brilliant. Uh, now, this podcast isn't well, the just... the last bit was. <laughs> this podcast isn't just about us talking to you. It's also about you getting involved. Oh. Get involved! There are various ways that you can get involved in this podcast, but first of all, you'll need to know how to contact us. You can email us via standup at kent.ac.uk. That's standup, all one word, no hyphen, at kent.ac.uk. We're also on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at histcompod. And we're also on Facebook. 
got a Facebook page? Uh, the first way you can get involved is go to the catalogue, which you can find online, find a listing for a comedy object and nominate it. We'll talk about all nominated objects in future episodes. That's the vanilla version. And if you do that, we're going to send you a badge of the, um, of the podcast and also a badge of the Stand Up Comedy Archive. So do remember to include a postal address. The chocolate chip version of getting involved is to send us an email, arrange to come into the Stand Up Comedy Archive, look at some material for yourself, record a short piece about one of the objects that you've seen. If you do this, you'll be given an amazing Stand Up Comedy Archive limited edition t-shirt in your appropriate clothing size. And uh, a podcast badge as well. Um, And we'll use those recordings in, in future episodes. And the stupidest way of getting involved is to record your own version of our theme tune, and if we like it, we'll use it in a future episode. One last thing, please leave a review of this podcast on iTunes. It's really important to us. And if you do that, send us a screen grab of your review uh, on an email or something, and we'll and leave a postal address, and we'll send you a badge. A history of comedy and several objects is devised and presented by Dr. Oliver Double and Elspeth Miller for the British Stand-Up Comedy Archive, brought to you by the University of Kent. This is made possible by the University of Kent's Public Engagement Research Fund. Photography by Matt Wilson and editing and production by Matt Hoss.